scripture interpreting scripture. Central truth is that scripture confirms itself as being the inspired word of God. And we're going to talk about that this morning a little bit about how it inspires, uh, how it, how it in, uh, basically confirms itself um, as being the inspired word of God as we, as we study it. I'm going to use that as a, as a bit of a pivot point um, that all of these things are, especially the things we're going to read this morning, they're very, very <coughs> informative things, and we should understand these things. But I also, as I went through this, I thought, you know, that's really interesting, too, that none of it really works like it needs to unless you're actually in the Word. I mean, if it's only an idea, if reading the Word is just an idea, if it's something you're like, and I know, too, that we'll work, we're all working on it, right? We're all working on it. We're all working at getting better. We're all working at reading more. We're all working at praying more. All of those things. And I get, I totally get that. So I'm not, understand that when I say that, I'm not getting into your weakness or the thing that you're working on. I'm simply saying that I know this, that at the times that I have spent in study, in the kind of study that I know that is study, I learned something. And I see the way the Word of God correlates. I see the way that he said something over here and it correlates to this over here. And I I just get it. It makes much more sense than is if I open it up for a couple minutes and then shut it and be like, all right, I put my time in, I'm done. And I think everybody knows what I'm talking about there. So understand that in order for us to really get this and, and understand understanding Scripture, it's going to take some time on our part. This, it's going to take some time on our part. We're going to put our time in. And you know that that's with anything, but you got to put your time in when it comes to God's word. You really do, uh, and, and definitely don't think that I'm. Once again, I'm not getting into the thing that you're working on because I know that we're all continually working at getting better. Okay, under uh, let's get started. One of the beauties of God's word is that we never master all of its message to the point that we no longer need to study it. Isn't that great? Yeah. Amen. Um, I, I've mentioned this openly before, and. It's obviously a supernatural thing. <clears throat> Probably the most peaked time in my uh, study in my life. The more, I, I mean, I, I would say that within that span of time, and I don't remember what the span of time was, but within that span of time, I probably learned more about God's Word than in that span of time that I did my whole life. And there were just revelations, and I was reading, and it was just fervent, and it just worked. Every single day I was learning stuff. Um, but the thing that I noticed was that the more I learned, the more I learned, the more knowledge I gained, and the more inspiration of the Spirit, the Word of God began to open up, and so to speak, the hole got bigger. And I was like, I thought I knew something. And then what I would come to the realization was is that the more I studied, the less I knew. Does that make sense? Yeah. I mean, the more I studied, the less I knew. It was like, it just kept opening and unfolding and unfolding and unfolding. And I thought, wait a second. I could study at this pace till I died. And I'm not ever going to be able to reach the end of this thing. And it was actually really exciting. It was very exciting to come into that place. So we know that God's word is unlimited and it's infinite. And it has so many different things for us to to engage in. Um, I believe that... I know that there are times in our lives when God's Word, and I don't want to spend too much time on this, I know there are times in our life where God's Word, and 
want to be real careful when I say this, but I think it, I think it appeals. There are times when God's word is not as interesting as it is at other times. Sometimes I worry that God's word is only interesting when we are in trouble or when we need something from him. And that's when it's at its most interesting. I think that uh, as, we as, we, as we, we as Christians, we need to discipline ourselves and make it to a place where God's word is interesting just because we want to know more of it. Not because we need it in an emergency. Not just because we need a blessing out of it. But just because it's every day. It's what we do. Uh-huh. It's who we are. And I think that's, that's important also. Um, so he says, the basic message of the Bible is clear enough for a very young child or someone with little or no education to understand. Yet it contains complexities that strengthen and encourage those who have studied it for many years. And so, yeah, that's, that's one of the mysteries really about God's word that makes it so unique is that it doesn't take hyper-intelligent people to understand it. You can get into Proverbs and begin to read the wisdom of life and immediately begin to glean from it, regardless of wherever you're at. Even if, you're, even if you are illiterate and somebody is reading it to you, you're going to start to garner wisdom on how to live your life. On the other end of it, some of the most intelligent people in the, on the face of the planet Scholars have studied it, looked at its complexities, and it's enough for them to study it and can't find the end of it. So would you say that the Word of God is for everybody? It's for everybody. That's one of the the exciting things about it. So as we peel back layer after layer, God reveals more and more of himself to us. Uh, One of the reasons that I think God's Word uh, does that is because it, it is also a representation of the endlessness of God's word. Meaning that God himself, which is, we know God's word is his spoken word, his inspired word, but it's also a representation of him, which is endless. You're never going to find that endless depth. You can dive in all you want, and there'll always be something fresh and new for you. That's what, it's representation. So every part of the Bible is important, and the more we study it, the more clearly we can see the message interwoven through its pages. Our effort to discern God's intentions in giving us a particular text involves an overall familiarity with the character of God as described in the whole Bible. This is what is meant by letting Scripture interpret Scripture. Every individual communication is clarified by the complete context of God's revelation to us in His Word. God, who decided to reveal himself by speaking to us, expects that we will use the minds and tools he has given us to more fully understand his message. So the, the Bible, we just talked about the, the word, the Bible is a message. And, and of course, we're going to talk about some different complexities too here in just a little bit. We can get into uh, how we study it. Do we use the Strong's? What kind of study material do you have? What kind of tools do you use? There's all kinds of different things that we could get into. But I want to make a, a very basic point. That the word of God is a message. Something is being relayed from God above to man below. A message. Amen. Now, of course, we could get into debates and you could say, well, I think you know that's a verb and this means this and we, this means this. And while I believe that all those things are are very popular and very important things to get into, you cannot dismiss the message that the Word of God is sending to us. Amen. And without, without, I don't have to debate people. 
to understand that there's a message being sent. We could talk all day about words and how particular words mean this and how particular words mean that, and, and those, that's all fine and great. But the Word of God is sending a message, and that Word is that God sent His Son to die on a cross for us, and that our, we have been redeemed if we simply accept Him as Lord and Savior. It's a message that goes out. About the gray area there, right in the middle, is very interesting. Uh, about the Constitution. Oh. Yeah. I've seen that. Is that a? Is that? Are they asking a question? Oh yeah. Okay. The First Amendment to the Constitution of the United States says. Congress shall make no law representing an establishment of religion or prohibiting the free exercise thereof. What are some of the ways this text has been interpreted? Are there some interpretations with which you disagree, and why? Pastor, yeah. you open that up, so I'll give you an opportunity to... <laughs> well, it's been interpreted many ways. Uh, sadly, in some ways, very sad. Uh, it's become freedom from religion instead of freedom of religion. That's right. Uh, Supreme Court back in the 60s... Mm -hmm. uh, one justice got them, the majority to sway, basically that it meant something other than it really means. Right. From that point, we've had issues with this, uh, even today. Yeah. You know, it's growing. That's one of the main contesting arguments in the Supreme Court of today of this religious thing. There have been several sure. major yeah. cases decided recently, some good and some not so good. Sure. Yeah. Um, but anyway. I just, well, I, I, I think also that one of the biggest problems the same biblically is the same it is with you know constitutionally is is so many hairs have been split mm -hmm. when there's no need for a hair to be split well, it, now, wicca satanism everything you can imagine yeah. is a religion yeah well, right. that's not what the original founders never was the intent right but see it's been swayed it's swayed by interpretation yeah. interpretations are dangerous when they're made by ungodly people especially so yeah extremely subjective to whatever you want it to mean, which is what's going on today in our society is the subjectiveness of everything. It's just like there is no truth. There, there's no there's no basis for, for anything, even your own gender. I mean, it's just whatever. Whatever you want to do, whatever you want to be, be it. That's, that is dangerous. That is a very, I, there was a comment that, uh, go ahead, Stace, go ahead. If you look at it in the Constitution and our judicial system, we don't have one if it's not God-based. Right. You right. swear to tell the truth, the whole truth, nothing but the truth, so help you God. Yeah. That, that is the one we serve. Right. Well, Christian. they've twisted it. Yes. Yeah. And now there's so many that they can't make their mind up what they're going to yeah. serve. Um, there, was a, there was a book written by a guy named Tom Holland, a uh, scholar. Uh, the book, name of the book was Dominion. And it's about the way that Christianity changed and is a very part of our culture. And we're operating under those things, and we don't even realize it because we've taken it for granted. Christianity changed the face of everything. And we could easily go back and say Christianity, that the United States was founded on Christianity, but it even goes farther back than that. The, the Christianity permeated cultures and permeated people so much to the fact that, that we operate in those things, and we don't even realize that we're operating them, but now... This is an obvious uh, task at hand from the enemy to try to stifle out and eliminate every aspect of that. Um, and if you want to say that history repeats itself, that's actually happened at other times too. It's just unfortunate that we're living in one of those times. Yeah. Real quick. Yeah, go ahead. Again, to kind of reinforce what I said a while ago, the, uh, the danger lies 
and, and there's atheistic people now that are in positions that are making these kind of decisions. If you're out from under the auspice of Jesus Christ, you're not going to make godly decisions. Not very likely. No. And that's a real thing that we're facing mm -hmm. in this country today. Growing daily. Mm -hmm. Sure. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Okay. Yeah, I didn't want to get hung up there, but I thought that was interesting. No, that's good. That, that, that'll work. Uh, all right, page 37, let's read the scriptures. Go ahead, Haley. Psalm 78, 3. For I will speak to you in a parable. I will teach you hidden lessons from our past, stories we have heard and known, stories our ancestors handed down to us. We will not have these truths from our children. We will tell the next generation about the glorious deeds of the Lord, about his power and his mighty wonders. For he issued his law to Jacob, to David instructions to Israel. He commanded our ancestors to teach them to their children, so the next generation might know them, even the children not yet born. And they in turn will teach their own children. So each generation should set its hope anew on God, not forgetting his glorious miracles and obeying his commands. <clears throat> Matthew 5:17. Don't misunderstand why I have come. I did not come to abolish the law of Moses or the writings of the prophets. No, I came to accomplish their purpose. I tell you the truth, until heaven and earth disappear, not even the smallest detail of God's law will disappear until its purpose is achieved. So if you ignore the least commandment and teach others to do the same, you will be called the least in the kingdom of heaven. But anyone who obeys God's law and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. But I warn you, unless your righteousness is better than the righteousness of the teachers of religious law and the Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. 2 Peter 3.15 And remember, our Lord's patience gives people time to be saved. This is what our beloved brother Paul also wrote to you with the wisdom God gave him. Speaking of these things in all of his letters, some of his comments are hard to understand, and those who are ignorant and unstable have twisted his letters to mean something quite different just as they do with other parts of Scripture, and this will result in their destruction. You already know these things, dear friends, so be on guard. Then you will not be carried away by the errors of these wicked people and lose your own secure footing. Brother, you must grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. All glory to Him, both now and forever. Amen. Amen. <coughs> Israel's history informs her destiny. The verbs in the opening verse of Psalm 78 are instructive. Give ear, listen, incline your ears, open your ears. Good living translation, open your ears, that's good. Uh, they speak of actively listening to hear and grasp what is being said. That's very important for us when, when we're talking about it. I'm just going to take that piece right there and I'm going to use that this morning. That is very important that that's how we approach God's word in our own personal lives. Listening. Hearing, grasping, could we also throw in applying? Sure. Absolutely. It's, it's like, okay, so why are we reading? You ask yourself that. So why are we reading God's Word? When you might answer, well, it's so we can learn more about God. Okay, well, what good is that, though, if we're not actually mimicking the one that we call king? Right. I mean, if we're, not, if we're not actually trying to apply and mimic that and say, okay, I'm going to be like that. Instead of just stopping at, I'm not saying y'all are doing this, I'm not saying that. I'm just saying, instead of just stopping at, I'm going to put the time in, that's well, more than that. It's more than just putting the time in, it's actually applying, and what it's saying here is, is listening and hearing, grasping it, pulling it, and saying, okay, that's, that's good. Okay, what do you mean by good? You mean it's good because it 
Sounds good? Is it good because you're going to apply it? Use it in your life? What does that mean exactly? Today, you got to kind of define it because people, when they say something's good, uh, nowadays it's just because it gets them excited. It's like, oh, that's good stuff. It's like, okay, I'm with you. It's good stuff. It's because it's God's word. But are you going to apply it? Are you going to use it? I like, how do I say this? I won't say this the right way. I like being excited about God's word. But if you are digging into God's word and if you're really listening, a lot of times God's word hurts because it has to hurt you. It has to be a sword. Remember, it's a sword. It has to pierce. It has to cut. It has to in order for it to do good for you. So what that means is, is that uh, is God's word exciting? Is it fun? Absolutely. But if the only aspect of God's word that ever happens to you is this pumping up and I'm getting excited and one man that makes me excited and I'm excited about this and I'm excited about that I just know from the preparations of the uh, of the gospel and the way it hits us that there are times when it should hurt us it's like oh man that was that bothers me because I know I don't fit that description that should hurt me and so I'm saying that because I think it's there's so many extremes today. So many different people look at it from so many different angles and ways. And obviously there are varying opinions, but we can get into God's Word. And God's Word uh, has a way of piercing to the very heart of who we are. Saying things that just just really devastate our world in a good way. And, and it should because that's what it's designed to do. So I guess what I'm saying is, is that, it, you know... <laughs> People that walk around and they're just the the every time they listen to God's word is it's this um, it's this uh, oh how do I say it it's overdone it's like look okay I get it you're excited I know but there are times when I'm not excited about it because it hurts too bad to be excited I'll be excited next week you with me I'll be excited next week but today it hurts and I think it should I think it should crush us a little bit. Yeah, uh, there's been many times, just like you're saying, you look for that word, you get in that word, and then you finally get that word. And it's like, at first, I'll use the one I had last year, choice. At first, it's like, yeah, that's an awesome word. That's great. And then the more you see it in your everyday life, I'm like, yeah, that was a choice. Was that for the kingdom, or was that for yourself? Was that for, for Jesus, or was that for the enemy? And, and then you start wrapping your brain around the, the whatever word it yeah. is the Lord gave you or showed you, and you see it just all around you. And then it's like you realize all the room you need to, I need to fix myself to get in right. the place where I need to be to get closer to the Lord. I'm like, it's like, oh, what did I do? Right. <laughs> that's a good. That's a good point. What did I do? Yeah. Uh, I believe too that we have to be careful about arriving at a point where we think we've got it all. And we don't need right. any more of it. Sure. Uh, that's that's really dangerous. Yeah. Because uh, I mean. It's, it's not just a storybook, right? What you're talking about, it gets it gets down and gouges the personal. What it does, right? The personal is, yeah. You know, that convicting body, mm -hmm. if we let it. And I, I think too, you know, what would go with what you're saying. I think if you, I think if you look at it like it can be attained, then it's not really personal. It's more general. Like you said, it's like a book. Then, if you if you look at it as something that can be completed, like a task then we're looking at it incorrectly. We are looking at it like it's general. It's like, well, I go from point A to point B to point C. Okay, I accomplished the task. It's over, right? No, it's never over, especially personally. What, but if, if, you, if you 
just like, well, I've read it a hundred times. Right. I read that verse a hundred times. Well, let it keep on polishing. You don't quit reading it. Mm -hmm. It's a polishing. It's a refining. It's a, you know, it, it, it's what brings us to a, a greater maturity. Right. Which then enables us to help people that may not be in such. I mean, it has a multiple yeah. varied effect. It does. It does have a varied effect. That's good. Okay. Let's keep. Let's keep on. I got to keep moving. I didn't have the first two paragraphs. <laughs> we can learn God's purposes by paying attention to how God. Uh, am I? That's where I'm at. No, I'm sorry. I'm about but to the top. I apologize. This may include preparing our minds, being well rested, and intentionally suspending judgment in order to hear what is being said. The psalmist drew Israel's attention to lessons from our past, stories we have heard and known, stories our ancestors headed down to us. We can learn God's purposes by paying attention to how God dealt with his people in the past. Absolutely. Paul emphasized those accounts were not just for Israel's benefit. Rather, these things happened to them as examples for us. They were written down to warn us, uh, warn us who live at the end of the age, 1 Corinthians 10, 11. So, so we obviously know that, too. We obviously know that we, we can learn some things by looking at our past. So we would, we would define that as history, right? Look, you know we've been talking about this in here over, over a period of time. The history of Christianity is very important. It's very important that you understand the, the flow over the last 2,000 years. That you pay attention to the things that have taken place. What is going on now isn't actually so foreign if you pay attention to the history of it. It's like we just happen to be living at a time when it happened again. And it's like, okay, here it comes. It's coming. There's this stifling out of Christianity. There's this, there's this drowning out of, of God's word and wanting to get it out of the way and wanting to get rid of it. Yeah, there's been some times that's happened through history. So here we are right in the middle of it. So in Psalm 78, 4 through 6, the psalmist emphasized that God's truth must be passed to the next generation. It's got to be. It's got to be passed on. Throughout his covenant with Israel, God stressed this responsibility. In Deuteronomy 6, 6 through 7, he said, You must commit yourselves wholeheartedly to these commands that I, give, that I am giving you today. Repeat them again and again to your children. Talk about them when you are at home and when you are on the road, when you are going to bed and when you are getting up. What is he saying there? What's that being? What's, all the time. You get that, though? I mean, so so why, though? Why? So, so for them, for them, living in the time that they did, it was very important to teach your children that because they knew if they didn't follow the law, what was going to happen? They were going to be destroyed. And so they understood. They were like, okay, make sure the kids know that this is what you do and what you don't do. Make sure they get that. Because there was this understanding that if the next generation come into knowledge that wasn't godly, that they would begin to act however they wanted to, to desecrate the temple, uh, stop doing the proper sacrifices uh, to remain holy, stop the incense, all that stuff would stop. And then what would happen? God's wrath would come. And so the way we glean that today, so well, we're not living under that. It doesn't happen the same way. Yet it ends the same way. And let me explain. So I'm gonna use I'm gonna use your life as an example. Okay, let's not let's just erase a, a, the idea of, of Christ coming back and, and wrath and all those things for just a minute. So suspend that for just a second. Well, what happens if you operate the way you want to operate and you just simply die? Then what? Well, then you're standing before the Lord. Now you're going to have to give account to the way that you handled your life. 
And I know a lot of times this gets a lot of attention. We think, well, you know, they did it back then, but it's not the same today. And we don't see any wrath. We don't see any of those things happening the way it did today. I beg to differ. But even if you differ completely on that and you say, I don't really see those things, I say, then what is the cost of it when we stand before it? What's the cost? It could cost us our soul. Correct? I mean, I'm talking about, I'm talking about uh, in the New Covenant being about Christ taking what he has done for you and I and uh, taking that for granted. Acting as if it hasn't happened. Acting as if sin hasn't been abolished and I'm not really chained to that anymore so now I can live for God and I can live in holiness and I can live in a way that pleases him. You see what I mean? Talking uh, about serving him with the full capability that he gave you and I. But then what if we don't though? What if we don't? What if we, we kick all that to the side? At some point in time, there's going to it's going to have to come to a head. We've talked about this in here often. I'm not saying this to, to stir you or to scare you or anything like that. I'm just stating it. I'm going to have to give account to God by myself. I'm not going to be able to be able to drag anyone else in beside me and say, here, here, hold on a second. Let me talk to my wife real quick. Let her talk to you. She'll, she'll vouch for me. It ain't going to happen. It's not going to happen. You're going to have to give account for your own actions in yourself. Um, that That's sobering. It's a very sobering thought. So when I think about the things that were back then in the Old Covenant, I trace it out to Christ, and we, we talk about salvation and everything that's been done today. Um, it absolutely deserves our 100% attention, how to stay away from sin and to take full to take full advantage of what has been given to us, not in a bad way, but in a way that furthers us with the Lord. Amen? We want to go further. We want to grow. We want to get closer to him. I, I do not want to be found uh, lacking with something with Christ. And I stand before the Father, and he said, you didn't, you didn't get it, did you? I mean, you did, but you just didn't do it. I, I don't want that on my hands. Amen. Uh, growing up in church, you never really, as being a, a youth in it, I never remember hearing many stories about, you know, the ground opening up and God wiping people out because, you know, they stole <laughs> right. stuff from yeah. Jericho. Yeah. You always hear about the walls coming down. Sure. And yeah, that gets all the attention. Yeah, and I didn't read about pretty much the Old Testament until my 30s. And then I, like, started, it, it kind of brought fear to me because I'm like, you really don't like sin at all, God. And I'm like, Mom always told me that, but I never really got it from that perspective. It's yeah. like they had to tie the word around their necks and, and they had scriptures on them and they had put them above their doors so they could remind themselves constantly it's like we gotta stay in do line that. or we're gonna drop dead because God's gonna get mad at us and we step out of line because yeah. we sinned against him, uh -huh. we offended him. And I never came to a full grasp of that to my thirties. It's like wow. Uh -huh. And and if you don't truly understand what what sin kind of means to God, even though we can't fully grasp it, then we can't really understand ourselves. No, I think that's really good. I, I think that's one of the reasons obviously why it was all the time. All the time. Make sure you're doing this. Okay, let's keep moving. God's word never changes, but each generation must must discover its truth anew. This is this is that's good. I don't have time to get into the generational thing, but listen to what it's saying. God's word never changes, but each generation must discover its truth anew. The next generation, your kids have to discover what you already know. The grandkids have to discover what you already know and what the parents know. 
It has to be that way. If it doesn't operate that way, then there's going to be a gap. There's going to be a gap. There's going to be a missing gap. Um, this is why this is why it's so troubling in America, and and I don't know if you guys know a lot about what goes on outside of America. If you've ever looked at these things, the things that we do freely here, aside from Christianity, I'm talking about. So there's some other things too, and I'm not going to name things because then we, that just points fingers. I'll just put it like this. There are things that they are allowing and want to allow in America as being the norm that you get arrested for in other countries. Yeah. Mm -hmm. not building and we're supposed to be the most advanced leaders of the, of the free world, but yet they don't allow them to do those things over there because they know how heinous they are. So uh, it's very important that you make sure the kids know, <laughs> make sure that next generation knows, because it never changes, they've got to discover it. So each generation should set its hope anew on God, not forgetting his glorious miracles and obeying his commands. There is both an oldness and a newness in God's instructions. As John puts it, dear friends, I am not writing a new commandment for you. Rather, it is an old one that you have had from the very beginning. This old commandment to love one another is the same message you heard before, yet it is also new. So he would just give it an example there. It's like, and I think that's a really good example. It's like, okay, uh, love was an old, an old uh, command, but yet it's also new for us. And, and I would say that it's, it's something that also has to be rediscovered properly, how to love people properly, how to use it. And I'm not going to take that and just go with it, but would you say that love is a very important, if not the most important aspect Amen. of especially the New Testament? And we talk, even, even the New Testament puts it in perspective. It's like, forget the gifts. And I'm you paraphrasing, I'm just kind of, it's like, you ain't got nothing if you ain't got love. Amen. You got all these fancy things that you can do. You, got, you can speak in tongues, great. You can prophesy, that's good. But nothing beats love. That puts things in perspective. I mean, it really does. So God's word transforms the lives of new followers in new situations. And God's purposes are uh, discerned for the present uh, through focusing on what he has done in the past. All right, so let me make a point here about that. Um, as much as we are into uh, you know, the, his the historical aspect of it, um, <clears throat> we stand to absolutely gain from paying attention to the past. We've got to pay attention to those things. Uh, we got to pay attention to the flow of those things. If God did it before, he can do it again. Would you agree with that? Always good, good history. Um, that's why talking to other people that have seen God work in certain areas of their life um, is, is encouraging that God will also do the same thing for you. But one point that I want to make this morning is that, yes, he can do it again, but he may not do it the same way. you got to remember that. It's not a mirror. The only mirror is God's in the middle of it, and God will do it. That's what we learn from history. We don't know exactly how he's going to do it, but he will do it. I, I, the reason I make that point, because so many people mirror past experiences, they say it's going to be exactly like that. Maybe not. Maybe, and let's talk about it on a personal level. Maybe you look at somebody who was healed and, and you're like, I want to be healed that way. Well, it may not happen that way. Or, or, or I want to be uh, prayed for and I want to be prayed exactly the same way that they did it over there. But it doesn't ha quite happen that way. You see, God will do it, but it's not always exactly the same way. Sometimes there's some variables. <clears throat> you think, well, what's, what's the big deal in saying that? You'd be surprised how many people get upset if it doesn't happen exactly like he did it before. 
like, no, it doesn't work like that. God, I, the variables of God are just unbelievable. Get the point, though. Will he do it? Absolutely. He's faithful, right? He said he'd never Amen. leave you nor forsake you. And there are all kinds of things that go on in life. God continually navigates us through them, but it, it's, it's encouraging to look back at my maybe a, an older individual that's been around that's experienced some things and I can garner some things and listen to what's said and say, and that's encouraging. But the expectation for God to do it for me the exact same way that he did it for them, I think can sometimes frustrate us. The only reason I'm telling you that is because I've seen Christians frustrated by that. Wondering, where's God? When is he going to do it? Hey, you leave that up to God. He'll, he'll, he will come through. Okay, uh, let's go to section two. Christ fulfills the law and prophets. In Matthew 5, 17 through 18, Jesus wanted his hearers to understand his purpose in coming. He did not come to destroy or abolish God's earlier message, but to accomplish his purpose. Last week's lesson showed Christ as the ultimate fulfillment of Old Testament prophecy, but he also came to fulfill the law, bringing it to its intended purpose. So, somebody tell me, so how did Christ fulfill the law? What was the fulfillment? Ultimate sacrifice. Ultimate sacrifice. There wasn't a good enough sacrifice up to that point, right? Everything was, was just atoned for, and, and uh, just going through the, the, the process that God had laid out to atone for the sins and atone. And, and you know, if you've read Levitical law and you've got into that, it was quite a process, especially for the priest. Can you imagine being a priest in that time? Your whole day was about lighting candles, making sure that the, this is right. At this time, we got to do this. And it was, had to be. I was like, ooh. Man, and we're, I mean, that was down to the wire. And if they begin to get out of line with God, I mean, you remember the bells. We've talked about that before. They had bells. You know, if you come in unworthily to the Holy of Holies, you fell over, we pulled you out, we found another priest that was ready, you get in there and go at it. Some serious stuff. We're not, we're not dealing with that right now, thank God. But yeah, Stacy, that's he was the fulfillment of the law. He was the perfect sacrifice. So that him being the perfect sacrifice abolishes our sin. But I always think about that too, Stace. I think how far it's come from that point in people's perspective and, our, and their viewpoints. It's like, okay, Christ was the perfect sacrifice. I won't spend too much time on this. I want to make sure we all understand. He was, he was the perfect sacrifice for all of our sins. And so, But what makes us think because Christ was the ultimate sacrifice and that we don't see the same reaction by God that somehow he's changed his mind on what's wrong and what's right. The attitude is still the same. That's why I like looking at Old Testament things. I like looking at what points to sin in Leviticus. I like that because that's, a, that's like a laundry list of the common sense things he wanted them to understand. And it's like, well, that doesn't really matter. No, it does. And it matters because what Christ did for us is simply become the perfect sacrifice so you and I could be forgiven properly. But nothing changed about his attitude towards sin. Still the same. So. He didn't give us license to abuse the grace that he brought. Exactly. Paul mentioned that. And that's it. That's what's going on right now today. Yes. In a big way. Don't want to abuse the grace. Jesus is all love. He's not judging. I can do what I want to. Right. That's, that's wrong. Too. That's wrong. That's wrong. 
because it's it's like I don't know I don't want to get into that but yeah that's right, very deep okay so throughout his teachings especially in the Sermon on the Mount Jesus inter, uh, interpreted the law illustrating the better righteousness he expects of his followers whoa wait a second there's some expectations of us I was listening to some some uh, apologists ex exchanged some words the other day on this very topic and they the obvious agreement was that it's obvious that there are expectations of believers and, the, and really come down to faith without works is dead and the fact that there has to be and that that set of scriptures really captures that that if there's going to be true repentance there will be activity that follows repentance it's just the way it is and they come to that conclusion we've come to that conclusion so that also means though that we have to admit that there are expectations of a lifestyle for you and I and that brings a question mark what are those that's up for you to find out because it's it, it's it's personal it's for you and me yeah I can give you some general things but it's personal something that you have to discover yourself okay so the prohibition of, of murder deals not merely with a final act Where am I at? Uh, but with the heart attitude that may produce such a deed the heart is an important issue right Got the heart issues. Similarly, with adultery, sin begins in the desires of the heart, not with the act itself. Divorce, while permitted by the law, is not what God desires for the sacred union of marriage. Love your neighbor? Yes, but don't stop there. Love your enemies. You understand what the lesson is doing here? They're giving us those examples. Yeah. It's like, here's some examples right here. Here's some things that we can look at. We can talk about uh, expectations. So, and I'm not going to, I can't, we could really dig on this for a, a, a really long time. Uh, so I don't want to do that, but I do want to go back at the top. Uh, he talked about uh, desires and issues of the heart, and the act itself is not the problem, but it starts with, with, the, with the heart. So there's an expectation. What? What's the expectation? The expectation is that you examine your own heart. He's, he's leaving that up to you and I. This is, this is one of the things that I call practical Christianity. It's like he's not going to just come out and grab you and say, this is what I want you to do. It doesn't work like that. He expects you to listen. Remember we talking about that? Grasp it. Apply it. Practical. So one of the practical things that you and I do is that we examine our own hearts. Now, you may not like what you find. That may not be a popular thing for you. You may look at it and say, man, I looked at my heart the other day, and I just didn't like what I seen. Well, I get it. Especially, and we use the Holy Ghost in, in, in this, uh, this type of example, it's like you're sitting in the service, and this is about the most general way I can put it is you're sitting in a service and pastor ministers the message and you hear that message and man it's just something about it just resonates within you number one that's the Holy Spirit conveying to you the truth of the message the condition of your heart versus the expectation do we agree on that Amen. the condition of the heart the current condition of the heart Amen. versus the expectation without you really going into a lot of depth you know I don't meet that what is what is the result of that conviction that's the conviction I'm just kind of giving you a breakdown of that and so it's up to us what are we supposed to do practically we respond to the conviction I'm not right but I need to be right and so typically in this setting we step out we come down we go to the altar and we pray one of the things that we have to get away from if we want this to take place is we have to stop protecting our hearts so much because we're very, very protective people. 
And whether you believe that you have or not, we have created walls around our hearts. It makes it very difficult for the Holy Spirit to bring conviction because he's constantly working. If there's 25 people in here, or this morning there's liable to be close to 70. If there's 70 people, 70 people are being worked on by the Holy Spirit. 70 people in a very unique and intricate and diverse way. He's chipping away at the heart. Trying to get them to come to a place where they realize their insufficiency and his sufficiency. You see how that merges? But it's going to be up to you and to examine the heart. It's you looking inside saying, you know what? I'm wrong. You're right. That's it. I need that. I don't live up to that. I'm not where I need to be. And then responding properly. If, you, if, you, if you're not into examining your heart, if that's something you don't like, you've got to understand that's the Holy Spirit's job is to reveal truth. That's why you feel the way you do. If you sit in a service, you hear a message, and you're like, you don't, I, don't, I don't really like that. It makes me uncomfortable. It's because there's something there that you're insufficient in. But that's a good thing if we respond properly. All right, so um, I'm just going to skip on down here. Jesus took the law much deeper than a surface-level reading of the words, uh, deliver, uh, delving into the very character of God. In context, what Jesus was pointing to as his fulfillment of the law is a restoration of God's intention for the character and behavior of his people. Which is what he's saying there is, I just want you to be like me. That's what he's saying. I want you to be like me. And, and, and the more you work on it, the more you'll be like that. Um, have you ever had... Um, in your life, personal life, now regardless if you went back to it or not, over time, I'm not going to go into that. But let me just ask it like this. Have you ever had God come in and cut something out of your life? Yeah. I mean, like, just all of a sudden, you was, maybe it was here, maybe you were somewhere, and you caught a revelation. It's like, oh, I need to get rid of that. And you cut it out of your life. Mm -hmm. do, do you understand why those things are cut out? I mean, and I'm talking about a very, on a very base spiritual fundamental experience with God. The reason that God cuts those things out of our life is so we can be more like him. Amen. That's the whole purpose. Now, a lot of times when we get things cut out of our life, we are offended by it. Usually the first thing, especially when God really comes in with the prune, I mean, he's coming in to prune some stuff, and he's like, stop doing it. What's usually the first question that you ask? <laughs> Why do I have to quit that? Why do I have to stop that? I thought I only had to stop things that were inherently sin. Why are you telling me to stop something that's not exactly sin? It's prune. He's cutting the things off that you don't need in your life. Now, we've all been, I think we've all can admit to being pruned at times in our life. I think we've all, at one time or another, went back and somehow allowed that branch to grow back into our lives again when we shouldn't have. I've done it. Amen. And I've said, man, I wish I'd have never did that. I can understand now why he cut the thing off. Because it was a distraction. It was constantly getting in my way. Remember, the pruning process is for your good. It's to help you out. God's not doing it to, to become a villain or to take something away from you. He's doing it so you can be more like him. That's the way this process works. Well, how can you, how can you lead somebody else to Jesus if you're rational with something that you should have got rid of. Yeah, it's good. You know, it, 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 if it's in your life and you see it in their life, you're, you're not going to do any good talking to them. Yeah. Yeah, it's like you, you, you have to, 
it's it's uh, more encouraging if you're talking to somebody who has overcome yeah. it. So that's good. Okay, let me keep moving. His hearers noticed the difference. When Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowds were amazed at his teaching, for he taught with real authority, quite unlike their teachers of religious law. Jesus forbade ignoring and disobeying God's commandments and teaching others to do the same. Rather, he said to obey them and to teach others to do as well. That kind of teaching involves not just one's words, but one's life example. We often talk about that in here, right? It's not just what the words that you say, but it's the life that you live. Um, it's also uh, reputation plays into that. What's your reputation? And look, all of us make mistakes, all right? Everybody, no, there's nobody that's going to be perfect. There's going to be times when you make mistakes and it's going to go public, especially in today's time where everybody is on stinking social media. It's like you can't even get out of the workplace of making a mistake and everybody outside of work already knows about it. You with me? Yeah. And, and in a sense, I, I think it's kind of unfair. And it's kind of frustrating <laughs> at times because uh, uh, social media has a way of isolating incidents and villainizing the one who created that incident. And while there are times that I think that is handy uh, and useful, in a lot of cases, it's nothing more than defamation of name. And so, especially without knowing the context. And so, can you be a part of something like that? Sure you can. You can be a victim of it. You can be a cause of it, but you can also be a victim of it. You can be a part of something where somebody takes your name and they said, so-and-so did this. And they leave a review, you know? You're like, man, that's not true, though. And so, can those things happen? Sure they can. But what I'm talking about is the accuracy of one's lifestyle. I'm not talking about making mistakes. We all make mistakes. I'm talking about the accuracy of one's lifestyle. Something you do day in, day out. Every single day, this is who you are. Well, look, if you watch me close enough, you're going to find faults. You watch me long enough, you're going to find some stuff you don't like. You're going to say, I disagree with that. I disagree with the way he does that. He should do it like this. Right? We can all do that. But can you see how dangerous it is to get caught up in that? I mean, you think about if that's the case, if, if you're watching me that close and I'm watching you that close, and that's all I do is just watch you close, and that's all you do is watch me close, what in the world are we doing? <laughs> it's like, oh, 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 I knew it. I knew it. They're not as good as they thought they were. <laughs> Come on. And, and it's not our responsibility to make sure everybody knows someone else's faults either. It's not our responsibility. Man, I don't want to delve into that too much. Um, okay, so one's life example. So it's, it's uh, the way you live matters. Such teaching truly accomplishes the pass it on mandate. We saw in Psalm 78, Jesus taught that obedience plus teaching obedience constitutes greatness in the kingdom of God. Let me say that one more time. Jesus taught that obedience plus teaching obedience constitutes greatness in God's kingdom. Meaning, what we kind of what we said earlier, it's like, okay, Take the truth of God's word. Am I just reading it? No. I'm actually going to do that thing. I'm going to apply it. I'm going to use it. Uh, more than just coming to church. It's more than that. It's much, uh, much deeper than just showing up on a Sunday morning. Sunday night, Wednesday night. It's actually going to be something you do. We pointed out the difference between true righteousness and what the Pharisees considered righteous. In Matthew 23, 23, Jesus tells the scribes and Pharisees, you are careful 
to tithe even the tiniest income from your herb gardens, but you ignore the more important aspects of the law. For, um, for the record, there were tithing of spices. Now, this is where this is coming from, just so you'll understand that there were tithings of spices and, and things of that nature. He said, you, you'll, you'll tithe the tiniest income from your, uh, your herb gardens, but you ignore the more important aspects of the law, justice, mercy, and faith. Ouch. Mm-hmm. It's like y'all are y'all are all into following everything to the to the last dot, but you you're not. And this is the way I take this in scripture: you don't practice good justice, you don't have mercy for others, and you lack proper faith. Oh man! So then where then where is the importance of tithing? Then he was he was kind of putting it down at the bottom. It's like you don't even get the important stuff. Could could we say? Let me let me let me let me delve into something here. Could we say? Could we go back to what we were talking about before about the 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 commandment that kind of transcends Old Testament and New Testament, which is love? Could we say that if we're not really practicing love correctly, that we might be missing the point? That we're actually missing the point of the cross itself, if we really don't know how to love people properly. That's been a challenge of mine. I've been working on that. Mm-hmm. And this one, that's one of those things when you look into it, you look at your heart, and I don't really like what I see. I'm talking about you. I'm talking about me. So it's like, man, I got some improving to do. Because I want to, when, when he returns, I want to be found loving the body, loving the gospel, loving people that are involved in it, loving everything around it, right? Forgiveness. No bitterness. These things are important, especially when it comes to the, being practitioners of love. So it's like, okay, well, but church is important though, right, Tanner? Not if you're standing, sitting there with bitterness in your heart. Where would we put church then? Kind of somewhere down at the bottom. I guess you could put it like this. You're careful to go and show up at church every time the doors are open, but you ignore the important aspects of the law, like love. And I'm just adjusting a couple things there so you can understand the point that I'm trying to make. So, there we sometimes we get too hyper-focused on the small things and we're, we're missing the bigger point. You should tithe, yes, but do not neglect the more important things. The Pharisees were pretty good at following the minute of the prescribed rules, but they ignored the essentials that should distinguish God's people, the very thing that separates us. And that's why I mentioned love, is because love is this distinguishing trait between the world and us. Now, I don't want to generalize that. I'm not. I'm not going to generalize that and just simply tell you that the, the the deciding factor or the thing that separates us is just simply because you go to church and you got saved one time. No. No. The the, the separating thing, the, the thing that distinguishes you from everyone else away from the thing that makes you look peculiar and different is that you love people like God loved you. That's what makes you a weirdo. That's what makes you different. You know, in the Pentecostal realm, they say, well, you're different because you speak in tongues or you dance. Nah, man. No, that's not it. Love is at the top. Love should be the thing that looks the most peculiar in your world with everyone else is the way that you love people. Because if we have bitterness or we're unforgiving, we harbor grudges, or we have conditioned our heart to take offense, we're easily offended, church, we're not what we need to be. We're not what we need to be. You can show up to church three times a week. If those things are if those things are things that we practice without thought, 
then we're not where we need to be. Because love is the love is it. That's where it's all at right there. Okay. Um, when we truly listen to Jesus' words, we recognize our sinfulness and our need for both his atoning work and his sanctifying spirit to transform us. We need transformation, right? Amen. But you're not going to do that yourself. It's going to take a supernatural happening. Only you know what relies in your heart. And so only you really know what it's going to take to actually transform that. And, and yes, it is up to us to kind of put our hand to it, and we need to work at it, absolutely. But the change will not be done by you. It will be done by the Spirit. That's the only way it gets done is by Him. So it's kind of, that, it's a bit of a relief, actually. Because that kind of takes a little bit of the pressure off my shoulders. I was like, man, I've been working so hard at this. Anyone ever say that before? Man, I've been working so hard at these things. I'm trying to get this done. Well, that's a good thing, but you might be just over the line of trying to be in control of your change as opposed to allowing God to change you. You gotta, you gotta pay attention to that because that'll sneak up on you really, really fast. Okay, um, the prophet Ezekiel spoke of the new covenant, saying, "I will put my spirit in you, so that you will follow my decrees and be careful to obey my regulations." I always think of uh, Zechariah four uh, six. It's not by my, it's not by power, but it's by my spirit, saith the Lord. Right? Can't do it physically Amen. yourself. It's out of your strength. It's out of your realm. But the Spirit of God can do it. Okay. We've got a little bit of time here. We're just going to wrap up here in section 3. While the fundamental message of the Bible is not difficult to grasp, what did we say earlier? The message. The message is not hard to grasp. We also realize that not everything written in the Bible is crystal clear. Can we say amen to that? It's okay. You can admit that. There are some places in the Bible that are hard to understand. Anybody can say Revelation. Hard to understand. Yes. Peter even noted that some of what Paul had written was difficult to understand, although he recognized the inspiration of Paul's writing and grouped it with other parts of, of Scripture. As Dr. Daniel uh, Pakoda from Northwest University said, the Bible is sufficiently complex to allow for differences of opinion. Okay, so let me explain. Yes, I completely concur with that. Absolutely. The Bible is complex enough that you can have differing opinions about different things. But Bible scholars are clear. I've, I've studied this from their perspective, from my perspective, and I've looked at it. They're clear on this. There is no doubt about the salvation process. Amen. It is clear. It has been confirmed by numerous people, eyewitness accounts, that what was given to you and I as Christ being the ultimate sacrifice is 100% true and accurate. So when we talk about varying opinion, I'm not talking about the cross. That's not open for discussion. You could say that that's a closed-handed discussion. Now, if you want to talk about the events that surrounded it, the, the crucifixion and uh, the resurrection, sure, we could debate that. We could debate how some of those things took place. We could debate certain contexts of, of God's word, when it was written, what it actually means in that context. Sure. We could debate that. We could go over that. But it is a closed-handed discussion when it comes to the cross. There's no opinion. I'm not a, giving you my opinion about that. And you know I've said that up here before. I said, I'll tell you when it's my opinion. I'll tell you when I've, I've come to a conclusion from certain things that's brought me to this conclusion. Now, you may think in your head, no, I don't agree with that. That's fine. That's okay. There's no reason for, for me to say that I don't want to go to church with Jeff. 
because he sees things a little bit differently than I do, or he interprets scripture a little bit differently than I do. Him and I both agree in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Amen. That makes me a brother with him. Yeah. It's not a deal breaker. Man, I don't go to church with that brother no more. He don't he don't believe in, in being baptized. Or he don't he don't he don't believe uh he don't believe in practicing tongues. He don't believe in none of that stuff. I can't I don't know if he's a brother or not. Easy. Easy. You might find yourself in a place where you're just simply bitter over simple things. There's no reason for that. When we talk about what makes us brothers and sisters of Christ, it's the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. It's what he did for our sins. I agree. We agree. It's like, okay, we agree on that. But when it comes to simple disagreements, church don't get hung up on that stuff. It's not worth it. Some passages are difficult. And even when we follow the same interpretive guidelines, participate in the same spirit, and hold the same commitments to spiritual, uh, scriptural authority, we may still come to different conclusions than other believers. This is what makes us unique, but this should not be yourself. It should not be your goal in life. You've got to see past this. It should not be your goal in life to prove somebody wrong. Okay? Amen. Should not be your goal in life. So I'm going I'm to dig up some information. I'll show them. It's like, what are you doing? It's like, no, we agree. We agree. Maybe someday your perspective will change. Church, I've had my perspective change over time in different areas before. I'm like, ooh, that didn't, historically I was wrong. This is what happened. So you got to keep, right? You got to keep it open. That you may not be them that changes. It might be you. So consider that. All right, let's, we're finishing up right here. I'm out of time. As wise followers of Jesus, we should pursue learning and doctrinal stability. Absolutely. Amen. And seek those qualities in those to whom we listen. Every teaching should be measured by the standard of the full testimony of God's word, letting scripture interpret scripture. Many false teachings have resulted from taking verses out of context. Absolutely an amen. That's exactly where it comes from, is taking things out of context and teaching in a way. And I want you to also understand something here. I, I don't mind listening to people that vary in opinion against mine. It's like, okay, I get that. I understand that. False teaching, true false teachers are negating the cross. Mm -hmm. True false teachers come against what the cross brought, what the cross did, what the cross does, and how it affects our life every single day. False teachers draw attention to themselves, yeah. not the cross. I want you to understand that. Amen. Um, I say that because just because somebody has a varied opinion about something that's non-essential... That's not that big of a deal. Doesn't make them a false teacher. Uh -huh. And I see this. I, I just I witnessed this the other day, church. And this bothers me. I'm going to stop right there. I'm, I wish I could get further. This bothers me. But, and I want you to read down, even when we're done, I want you to read the highlight. They've got four highlights there for good scriptural uh, judgment and to understand context. I seen this the other day. This happened. These are these supposed to be believers. These brothers are supposed to be believers. And they are, and I believe that they are. But they, they, they call each other friends, but they, they constantly at each other's throat on YouTube. It's like, he's wrong. I call him out because he's wrong. And then they give a response video. I think he's wrong. And I'm like, what are you doing? You're embarrassing each other. You're embarrassing the kingdom. This stuff does not need to be open just because you have a disagreement. Calling each other heretic? Are you kidding me? So I'm telling you that because... This is where a lot of Christians get because we'll have a disagreement with somebody. We don't really see eye to eye. Oh, they're a heretic. Yeah. Uh, they're false. 
there they need to be moved out of the kingdom so, hold on just a minute hold on and don't get so uptight because somebody might disagree with you about something Amen. that is not a salvation topic okay we can have disagreements about history we can have disagreements about the way things we think things unfolded but don't allow yourself do not allow yourself to become bitter and frustrated over somebody that disagrees with you especially when it's not a topic of salvation. I'm out of time, guys. I apologize. I wanted to get to the end. Just read it. You'll like it. God bless you guys. Thanks.